Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. Last week, we began our Christmas series. I love to preach at Christmas time. It just lends itself to revival and uh, to God's kingdom invading earth. That's what Christmas was. And so we look at that as a template. How do we cooperate with God? And how do we attract him? How do we partake in what God wants to do in the earth? And so that we're going to continue on with that theme today. Now, last week, we were looking at Elizabeth and Zachariah. Zachariah and Elizabeth were the parents of John the Baptist, John the Southern Baptist, really John the Baptizer. And uh, he was Jesus' cousin. Uh, Mary and Elizabeth were related. And we looked at the, the principle of divine delay and how there are people who are beneficiaries of delay. You ever, you ever been in a situation where you feel like you're in, you've had God-imposed delay on your life? You have received a promise, but you're not seeing the breakthrough? Man, I'm the only one. I want you guys to lay hands on me after service tonight. Yet, uh, there's, there is one of, one of God's primary strategies. I know you don't want to hear this. One of God's primary strategies is delay. That God will awaken within your heart a desire and then he will impose a delay to build the pressure of what you're praying for. It's like compound interest. When you are not receiving the breakthrough, understand that God is compounding interest behind the scenes. And so you can cash out and receive the benefits of your investment or you can let it ride, and even the interest can gain interest. You can gain momentum behind the scenes. And so often what happens is we are pounding on the door, asking God for breakthrough, and we, we look on this side of the door and think there's nothing happening, when on the other side of the door, there, things are building. And so we looked at that whole principle, and it, it's just a fascinating story. Oh, about dropped my, my computer there. That wouldn't be good. We, uh, we looked at how Elizabeth and Zechariah prayed for years for a child and never saw a breakthrough. And it was to the point where she was beyond her childbearing years. And then her husband was visited by the angel and said, your wife is going to be with child. And so you have this couple who had been investing literally decades of prayers with no breakthrough. And they broke in late so that both their son and Mary could break in early. It's a fascinating thing. It says that John would be filled with the Spirit from his mother's womb. And the passage we're going to look at this morning, when Mary walked into the room, John, in his mother's womb, leapt. He, he, he bounced. His, her baby responded to Mary's baby because they were pregnant simultaneously. Elizabeth was six months in front of Mary. One generation came in late, so the other generation could come in early. And that is how the kingdom works. That God is going to lay on some generations a burden, and they'll contend, and they feel like they're not seeing the breakthrough. And then the next generation, it's before they're even seeking God, they get pulled into this thing. And you see that again and again all through history. I am... I, I, my, at my age, I am a man who lives between moves. I experienced a move in the mid-90s. We're still seeing the, the, uh, the breakthrough of that move, but we're also contending for the next move. 
And I watched in the mid-90s guys get saved in the middle of revival. They weren't seeking God. They were, they were just saved in the middle of revival. I remember when Brownsville, the Brownsville revival, some of you will remember that. The Brownsville revival broke out. I remember the news media going down there because it had made such an impact. Uh, ABC, NBC, CBS, the primetime uh, you know, news magazines, and they would go down there, and they would interview people, and there's drug addicts standing in line. They said, I don't, I don't know why, but I felt like I had to get here to this thing. They weren't even saved yet. And they would go to this revival, get radically saved. I know some of those young men today are traveling the nations as evangelists and missionaries. They came in early because there were people, if you look at the backstory on that move, there were people that had been praying for literally decades the gray-haired folk in the, I say that affectionately, the gray-haired folk in the church had been praying for decades and they were waiting for a breakthrough and others came in early. And it's the way of the kingdom. And so we need to understand that when God refers to himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, among other things, he is referring to his tendency to work generationally. We want a God to work hourly, or at least weekly or monthly. And God said, I work generationally. And we've got to know the role that we carry. And in a very real sense, every one of us is an Isaac. We're beneficiaries of the Abraham generation, but we're the benefactors to the Jacob generation. And we need to learn to live in both roles. We need to learn to wear both hats. We need to honor the generation that has gone on before us, and we need to invest in the generation that comes behind us. And nobody stands alone. The danger for the married generation is that they can look back at the previous generation and think, well, you know, if they just understood what we understood, they'd have had a breakthrough much earlier never realizing that what they came into and what comes so early is because of the previous generation paving the way and making the investment. And when we understand that, when we understand that the ways of God is that God works generationally, and we understand our role, and we understand that one of the primary strategies of heaven is that God will awaken a hunger within you only to impose a delay upon you so that you can have a, breaker, a greater breakthrough in your future, and sometimes even after you've passed. When we understand that, then rather than cashing out and getting the interest we've accumulated, getting the, the benefits of our investment, we say let it ride, and we continue to invest so that there's a compounding of interest. I shared last week, it was several years ago, I was on a Monday morning, reading this passage of, of Elizabeth and Zechariah and how the Lord promised Elizabeth and Zechariah that their child would be filled with the Spirit from the womb. And I just said, Lord, why don't you do that with all our kids and we could wrap this thing up by Thursday? <laughs> you know, seriously, why, if all of our kids could be baptized, filled with the Spirit from the womb, we could really get some traction here. I didn't expect an answer, but the Lord told me, he said, the reason I was able to do that in his life is because of the years of delay in his parents' life. And they, the prayers that they invested in trying to conceive were accumulated and visited upon their son, so he was able to break in early. I'd never heard anybody talk about that, but I thought, I think that's the Lord. I believe that. 
But I went, I, I went out to Nebraska that next week and was ministering at a church. And as I laid hands on a young man, I felt that passage and declared it over him. And it, he looked shocked and he said, he said, man, my mom and dad tried to have children for years and couldn't have kids. And they prayed and prayed and prayed for a baby. And finally they had me in their elderly years. And I believe it was the Lord just giving me that little kiss to let me know this is a principle he operates by. And I want to encourage you, if you are experiencing divine delay, don't give up the faith. Don't accuse God of being unfaithful or don't give up faith in what he spoke to you. Understand that if God has imposed a delay upon you, it's because he's accumulating something behind the scenes and you're going to have a greater breakthrough. Hebrews chapter 11 is very clear that there are some who are denied and some that refuse the breakthrough so that together with the next generation, it says, they can gain a better resurrection. It's an amazing phrase. New and improved resurrection. How do you improve on a resurrection? They gain a better resurrection because there's a partnership between the generations. Now, I mentioned last week, it was about a year and a half ago now, as a, as a staff, we, we went and into a deep dive on evaluating uh, our, just the whole church. We went through a strategic planning time, distilling the prophetic words, the history, all that God has done. Well, who were the fathers? What were the founding principles? What has God done? Trying to boil down who has God called us to be as a church. We wanted to really drill down deep on this, and the thing that we came up with was the, the mission statement, and you can look at it on our website. It's on the, the front page. It begins with this phrase, we are a multi-generational family. That's what we are called to be. We are, we are a multi-generational family, pulling as many people as possible into an encounter with God that in turn launches them into their destiny. That's who we are as a people. And that phrase, a multi-generational family, is crucial because God operates by family. It is not a coincidence that the Christmas story that begins with Zechariah and Elizabeth, this is part of the Christmas story. Zechariah and Elizabeth's visitation by an angel is followed up six months later by a young virgin girl named Mary being visited by the same angel. And at the end of the angelic message that she receives, she, the angel mentions to her. He doesn't say, hey, by the way, I was, six months ago I visited your, your cousin. But he does say, your cousin, who is well along in years, is also carrying a child. For nothing is impossible with God. What he's alluding to is that the elder one broke into a supernatural pregnancy past the time so that you, Mary, could break into a supernatural pregnancy before the time. And what you're carrying is connected. She paved the way for you so what she carries can pave the way for what you carry. And it says of John, a prophecy of John, that he would be the preparer of the way for the Lord. That is how God works. And he's always working in that way. And we need to understand that every one of us in this room is a Zachariah or an Elizabeth. And every one of us in this room is a Joseph or a Mary. We are all receiving 
from the previous generation, and we want to honor that. We want to realize that everything that we walk in, the price was paid for, at least in part, by the previous generation. But we also want to understand that our labors are going to affect the next one because God operates by family. It's an amazing thing that this, these players, Zachariah and Elizabeth, Mary and Joseph, there was a relationship. They're, they're all related. But more than that, Mary and Joseph were also of the lineage of David. You had Mary, or Elizabeth and Zechariah, which were, were of the, the priestly tribe, but David, I mean, Mary and Joseph were of the Davidic line of Judah. And they were of that lineage, and God had found family lines that he could work through. It says the priesthood was given to the Levites because of one of their forefathers, the relationship they had with God. And the throne was given to David because one of their fathers had found favor with God. God works through families. And when God will find a family that he can operate through, he will work for generations in that family. It's an amazing thing. My dad is now 77 years old. He's going to be 78 this year. My mom is going to be 80 next, next month. And they are now looking at four generations of their family. They're watching their grandkids prophesying and ministering to people. And I'm telling you, my dad isn't one of those that carries pictures in his wallet, but he might as well, because he'll tell you stories. He, he wants to brag on his grandkids. He, he's now enjoying the labors of his previous years. One of the things that just really brought this whole theme back to me was I came across a prophetic word Bob Hazlett had given my dad nine years ago. And he looked at me and said, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He said, I, you're, you're now going to see the third generation, and you're going to see them released into the things of God. That was nine years ago. The grandkids were pretty young. They're, they're now getting into the place where they're coming into their own, and he's seeing that. But he said to him, he said, the tears that you pri prayed for the prodigal, one of which was me, the tears that you prayed for the prodigals, you're seeing the fruit of it, but not all of it has been released yet because there's some to be released on a future generation. God will accumulate your tears, your labors, your prayers, only to visit them on the next generation. So this morning, we're going to look at the married generation. If you would look with me to Luke chapter 1, we're going to go further on in this passage, and let's look in verse 26. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. When we were back in the old building, we had three services, and so I'd get to preach a message three times. So once I preached it, then I felt like, okay, now I'm really ready to preach it. Unfortunately, right now, we only have one, so I, you know, I do a lot of review. I, sorry. Uh, verse 26, let's read this. In the sixth month of the angel Gabriel was sent from God, listen to what it says here, to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph, and of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So the angel, in the sixth month, so it's six months into this pregnancy, and Gabriel, the same angel that had come to, Mary, or to Elizabeth, and Zach, well, to Zechariah rather, not Elizabeth, to Zechariah to announce the, the birth of John, now comes to this young girl. But it says he came to a specific place. It was the region of Galilee and a city of Nazareth, and he came to a specific girl, a virgin, betrothed to a man, 
whose name was Joseph, and he was from a specific family line, the family of David. And he was going to introduce to her this encounter that she's going to have with the Spirit of God. I was looking at this this week, and it just struck me how it, the picture is, if you were to make this into a movie, it was like you'd picture Gabriel coming from outer space, from coming from uh, heaven, and he comes to planet Earth, to a continent, to a nation, to a region, to a village, to a girl, and a very specific girl with a very specific pedigree. God was narrowing down what he was about to do. And it struck me, it said she, he came to a city because your destiny is connected to the place you reside. Matter of fact, angelic ministry, I don't have time to unpack that, but angels are connected to places. And there's something about the place you reside that is connected to your destiny. Scripture is very clear in the New Testament. Paul said it this way, God hath chosen the times and the places in which men should live. God chose your generation and he chose your location. And the reason he assigned them to you is because they are connected to who you are and your destiny. What God has put in you is unique to your generation and your location. And that's not to say he can't change your location, but if he changes your location, not if you do, but if he does, if he changes your location, it's because he's wanting to put a demand on what he put within you. Locations are very important. We don't talk about it much in the church today, but spiritual geography and locations are very significant to God. There are specific destinies that God has over specific places. And so it's incumbent upon you when God sends you to a place to begin to lean in and ask God, what is it about this place that you've called me to? What is the unique destiny over this location? Matter of fact, I would encourage you sometime to pick up the book of Deuteronomy and read it through the lens of location. Because it really is a book about locations. It's from the perspective of geography. And God has specific things. And when, when scripture talks about apostolic ministry, literally it's being a sent one. There are apostles for today. But there's a very real sense in which we're all to be apostolic. We're all sent from God. And when God sends us to a place, when God assigns a place to you, you need to ask him what it is about that place. Whether it's a, a place to work, whether it's a place to live, whether God sends you short term to a place, uh, you know, on a missions trip, we need to lean in. One of my favorite things, when I go into a location, when I go in to speak in a, in a region, I begin to ask, Lord, God, what is it about this place? Lord, what is the destiny on this place? I want to get a word from the Lord that matches the location. And the angel came to a specific place. And we don't, we don't have time to get into it this morning, but I'm telling you, where you are called is connected to who you are. And if you don't know who you are or where you are called to, you will not fulfill your destiny. You will answer to God for a destiny that you will not fulfill. And so it's important that you understand the location you live in. So the angel came. It's not a coincidence that it says that the angel went to a certain place. 
a certain region and a certain city. And it said it went to a certain girl. She was a virgin. So not only was her place significant, her purity was significant. One of the qualifying factors that made Mary a candidate to be used by God was her purity. She had not yet known a man. She had kept herself. And so God is looking for those who set themselves aside. Now the good news is, God can restore our purity. If God, if, if God only called pure people, I wouldn't be a pastor today. Because I was a person who messed my life up, but God restored the purity of my heart. And God can do the same for you. But I'm telling you, you need to keep yourself pure for the things of God. But it's not just that she was a virgin. It says she was a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph. You see, it wasn't just her purity that was important. It was also her partnerships. She had a relationship with a man named Joseph. And your destiny is tied to the relationships you have. God will call you to relationships. And it's only when you get, it's the right people that are going to give you the right connections so that you can become the right person that God can use. It's not just that she was of the, uh, she was related to Elizabeth. And that was important. God wants to use the relationships you have. But she had come into partnership with a Joseph. When I first became the pastor of this church, I believe it was the first or second Christmas, I began to read through this passage and the Lord spoke to me very clearly. And he told me, he said, I've called you to be a Joseph. He said, I don't need you to give life to this church. This church is a Mary. I don't need you to impart life. That's my job. This church is going to be pregnant with my presence. And it's not for you to impart that. That's my job. But this is what he told me. He said, I want you to lend your good name to that which others will believe is illegitimate until it can run on its own. That last part always concerned me. I'm thinking, does that mean I'll only be here a short time? But the fact is, God calls us as leaders to lend our name and to cover the fledgling. And Mary needed a Joseph. Everybody that carries something in God needs somebody to give them a covering. Everybody needs those relationships, those partnerships in the spirit. Anytime the Bible mentions a principle, it's there for a reason. It's not insignificant that it says the angel went to a certain place, to a virgin that was betrothed. She kept herself pure but she needed relationships that were going to get her where she needed to go. And the relationships that God sends your way are connected to your destiny. They're connected to you being who you're called to be. And so the angel tells her, you are going to be with child. And the child that you bear is going to be called the son of the most high. And she asks a good question. She said, how can this be? I do not yet know a man. It's always intrigued me that that was Mary's answer. Because Mary was betrothed. She was already engaged. I don't know why she didn't just assume that this was going to be a child of natural birth between her and Joseph, but she didn't. Unlike her great-great-great-granddaddy who tried to do it on his own, Abraham, who had an Ishmael, we're still dealing with that, she asks the Lord, how can this be? And the Lord answers her, the, the angel answers her, says, 
The power of the Most High will come upon you. It will overshadow you and so that you will conceive in your womb. And the power of God would come upon her. And then he mentions Elizabeth. He says, you're, uh, let's read it here. He says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his king, of its kingdom there shall be no end. When the angel begins to address this unique calling she has, he shows up and he says to her, Mary, you who are highly favored, or the ESV says, Oh, greetings, oh favored one. The Lord is with you. And it says that she was deeply troubled by this. Why would she be troubled by that? He hasn't even told her. You, wanna, you haven't heard the troubling part yet, girl. <laughs> Why was she deeply troubled over this? It's because Mary didn't see herself the way that heaven saw her. When she was called highly favored, it didn't gel with her perspective on herself. But the angel came first to redefine her before he could position her to be used. And she was deeply troubled. It says, he says, oh favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Verse 30, and the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. Again, he, he expresses this. He said, listen, Mary, you've found favor with God. You are highly favored. What I'm telling you this morning is part of that favor was connected to her location. Part of that favor was connected to her lineage, the, the family line she was in. She was inheriting favor from the previous generations, be it David, be it Elizabeth. And part of that favor was because of how she postured her heart in general. She walked in purity. And God had positioned her in these relationships with Joseph and others so that she could be a candidate to carry what she was designed to carry. And he says, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. And Mary said, how will this be? In verse 35, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child born of you will be called holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. For this is the sixth month with her who was once called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. It's not insignificant that he mentions Elizabeth on the end of her announcement because he was highlighting the tie between her pregnancy and Mary's pregnancy. Verse 38, And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant and the Lord of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, tradition tells us that Mary was approximately 14, 15 years old. Matter of fact, uh, Jewish history, uh, with some of the Jewish historians at the time, talk about Mary and this angelic visitation, that she was in the backyard washing her dishes when the angel showed up. She was about her normal, everyday life. She didn't understand what was going on in her life. Whereas Elizabeth had been crying out for years for a child, Mary, it wasn't even on her radar. She wasn't married yet. 
She was about her own business, never understanding of what God was going to pull her into. She didn't see herself as a candidate. And all of a sudden, the angel announced to her. But, Elizabeth, but Mary was no slacker. She wasn't an unintelligent young woman. She understood the implications of this word. And she understood the stigma that she would carry because of this word. Because she was going to be with child before she was married. Matter of fact, there's a fascinating little picture in Matthew. Luke tells us how the conception happens, but the way Matthew introduces this passage, it says this, and it, this was the way that Jesus was born, that Christ's birth came about. So whereas Luke talks about the conception, Matthew talks about the birth. Luke tells how this thing began, but Matthew tells about how the baby was delivered. And that's where we see Joseph entered into this thing. And it says specifically in Matthew, this is how the birth of Jesus came about. While she was betrothed, but before they were married. It's a very, little, a very specific time frame that Matthew reveals to us. God chose a very narrow window of time. It was after they had committed themselves to each other, but before they were able to follow through and make good on this thing, they'd enter into a promise, but they hadn't sealed the covenant. That was the time frame in which God had imparted this life to young Mary. And she would be looked at with great shame because people wouldn't understand. So when Mary says, so be it unto me as thou hast said, she understood what she was saying. And it wasn't until she said those words that the angel departed. Because the Lord was looking for her surrender in this situation. There was a stigma to bear. We know later on in Jesus' ministry, he was called an illegitimate son. That shadow over the character of this family was still following them way into Jesus' ministry. What others thought was illegitimate was of God. Why would God do that? Why did he choose that little window of time? If he'd have done it beforehand, at least Joseph would have been off the hook. If he'd have done it after, the angel could have showed up and, to Joseph and grabbed him by the collar and said, listen, you don't have relations with your bride until I say so. And God could have covered this thing, but he didn't do that. It's because there was a stigma that they had to be willing to carry. And the fact is, Paul calls it this, Paul calls it uh, in the Greek, the scandalon. It's where we get the word scandal. It was really the, the flip of a trap. It, it's talking about the foolishness of the cross or the offense of the cross is, are the words that are used to translate it in 1 Corinthians saying that Christianity has a built-in scandal that you cannot get away from. The very thing that made sin attractive, one of the very things, was that it looked alluring to make one wise. And the very thing that you have to embrace to get born again is you have to embrace what Paul referred to as the foolishness of the cross. What looks like fool foolishness to others is the power of God to save. And she had to be willing to embrace 
this scandal on, this scandal. Again, it's like the flip on a trap. If you ever set a mouse trap, that little wire that you have to set, that would be the Greek term, the scandalon. It's the thing that will trap you. But it was used of scandal or of foolishness, of things that others aren't going to understand. And it's the thing that would trap people, keep people from it. And she had to pass this test. And it's, it's interesting to me that the angel stood there until she made, made that declaration. So be it unto me as thou hast said. And as soon as she did, it says the angel departed. And what's the very next thing that happens? Let's look at it. Verse 39, in those days, it's talking about in that little time frame where all this is happening. Mary arose and went in hay, with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this, and why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came into my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Elizabeth spoke prophetically over Mary. The elderly generation who was carrying something late spoke over the virgin, the young generation that was coming into something early. Her delay became Mary's advancement and God brought them together and there was this mentoring relationship and Elizabeth prophesied over to her and literally declared over her the words she spoke to the angel in private. She said, blessed is the one who believed what the Lord had said about her. How did she know that? She knew it by the word of the Lord. And she was blessing her. There's a reason that Mary hightailed it to Elizabeth. It was at the prompting of the angel. The angel mentioned to her, hey, listen, your, your, your relative Elizabeth, she's also carrying something supernaturally. And she knew, she's six months ahead of me in this process. I need to get to her house because I need some mentoring in this thing. We are a multi-generational family. We need to learn to pull on the previous generation and invest in the next generation. I remember when this passage became real to me about the baby jumping in the womb. I was, I was about 23 years old. I was working for a teen challenge. And I used to go out to the cemetery on the outskirts of Colfax. I had this car someone gave me. It was a really nice Delta 88 with the back fender crunched in. Remember when Kathy and I got married, some, they tied balloons to some of the twisted metal hanging off of it. You know? I love you, Kath. <laughs> She married a guy making 250 bucks a month in a, in a car that was all dented in. When I got to Mississippi to marry her, my transmission went out. I took the money we got for the marriage and put it in the transmission, only to have it go out again when we got back and we junked the car. Yeah, I love you, Kath. But I'd pull that car underneath this oak tree because the Lord would visit me under that oak tree and he would speak to me. And there was something about that place. I'm telling you, if you can find a place that God speaks to you, return to that place. Man, I feel the Lord on that. I would go under that oak tree and the Lord would just meet with me. 
on the outskirts of Colfax. I have my little boy buried in that, that cemetery for that very reason, because Jesus and I had a history there years before I had my little boy. There's something about places that he visits. And I remember one day as a single young man reading about this girl, and the Lord began to speak to me about when you are young and you're carrying something from me, you need to find those who are older and have gone before you that are carrying something to me. And there will be a synergy. And he said, when you walk in, your babies will leap. And I knew what he was talking about because I had a spiritual mother and her best friend that had invested in me for years when I was in Bible school. She was an old woman of 10 years older than me. When I met her, she was this really old woman, 29 years old. And, uh, you know, she was in the final stages of her life in my book. You know, I'm 19. This old lady. And uh, she would invest in me. And I'm telling you, there was something about her life and my life Man, she, when she would speak, it was like things in me would, would come alive. This woman, and she didn't tell me till later. She had asked God for a son. She had two daughters. She was raising those daughters on her own. And she had asked God for a son, and I came to work for her in the Bible school kitchen. She ran the kitchen. And the Lord told her, that's your son, and you invest in him. And man, she would, she would pound things. I've got notebooks full of things she wrote me, words from the Lord. And there were times she would talk, and it's like something within me would leap. And she told me that she said, Dave, you can, you can do one of two things. You can learn from your own mistakes, or you can learn from mine. I said, I'd like the latter, please. <laughs> and she would share with me her life and the things she'd been through. And it was like when she'd speak, it was like life coming into me. It carried weight. I didn't understand the dynamics that God had given me a mother in the Lord at that time. I didn't have that language. All I knew is that this lady carried weight in my life. And when I, as a young man, I'm reading that under that oak tree and I knew, oh, that's what that means. Pat Sherman is an Elizabeth in my life. I remember going and sharing that with her and her and her friend just laughed but I knew it was, it's a real principle. I'm telling you, God wants to put people in your life. They just may be six months ahead of you. That's enough. And you can mentor people. All you got to be is a few steps ahead of them. But you need to find your Marys and you need to find your Elizabeths. We are all those who stand between two generations. We all need to be ha having people pouring into us and we all need to be investing in people. The fact is, many of us are good at one, but not the other. There's been teaching on having a Paul, a Barnabas, and a Timothy. It's the same principle. We all need to have people pouring into us. We all need to be those who are pouring into others. And we all need to have people who walk side by side with us. There's these three levels of relationships. Some people are really good at being poured into. Some people are really good at working under authority. But they're not very good at investing in the next generation. And sometimes it's because of how they see themselves. Sometimes it's because they don't want to give what they have. They want the next generation to look for it. It's not good. Because your inheritance is in that next generation. 
Some people are very good at investing in the next generation and pouring into others. Some people are very good at being in a supervisory role, but they can't take orders. It's because there's something wrong there. Some people are really good at having peer relationships, but they're not good at these. Some people are really good at both of these, but they can't have peers. These three levels of relationships are like windows into our souls. And I guarantee you, your character flaws will show up in one of those windows. Lean into that and say, God, which level of relationship am I lacking? We all need all three to be fully developed and to be all that God's called us to be. Do you have people that you can call, that you look to, you realize they're farther down the road than I am? I'm not talking just in, in isolated areas. Hey, I, there, there are people who are that, that answer to me. There are people who are peers that are farther than me in areas. I'm talking about in life in general. We need to have those fathers and mothers in the Lord. Do you have that? Find that. And when you find it, that is such a valuable thing. I'm telling you, it can save you years of agony because you can learn from their problems and not your own. You can learn from their mistakes and not have to replicate them. You can start way ahead of the game and then find people to invest in because there are things in you you don't even know yet until someone else puts a demand on it. And you'll find yourself taking notes on yourself. I'm telling it. Man, I, I never thought of that. That was so good. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> You know, I'm going to record this because you didn't know you knew that until they put a demand upon it. Jude put this or not Jude. Yeah, Jude says, I want you to know, I want you to share your faith so that you'll know all that you have in Christ. In other words, you don't know what you got until someone puts a demand on it and you're going to surprise even you. It's going to force you to distill what you already know, force you to put in words the revelation that you're walking in, but you've never really thought about it. And the final phase of really giving birth to that is being able to give it away, to be, get, to be able to articulate it. And we got to quit, but you need peers. You need people that are, you just hang out with. Yes. All right? Yes. Let's stand. Father, we thank you. Just raise your hands. I really felt like the Lord spoke to me yesterday as I was reading over this passage. And I thought, Lord, that's a, kind of a strange thing to preach on on Christmas. But I felt like he was emphasizing that thing about the angel coming to a place and to a person and to partnerships. And the Lord wants you to understand how important the place that you live is. The place that you worship is. Some of you, you're visiting this morning. You have your own church. Understand that there's a unique calling on your church. And the reason God called you to there is because it's connected to who you are. Your destiny is connected to the people you run with. God will send Elizabeths and Zacharias and Josephs in your life. And you won't get where you need to go and you won't produce what you need to produce. You won't birth what you need to birth without them in your life. Because God works through family. He works through the relationship. Father, I thank you for your word. And Lord, I thank you for the relationships you've given us. Lord, I ask that you'd enlighten our minds and help us to recognize the valuable relationships that you've given to us. 
Lord, I ask that you would open the eyes of our understanding and you would help us to recognize the Elizabeths who will prophesy over us. Lord, I ask that you would bring those people into our life that the promises we carry will ignite the promises that they carry. And there's a synergy. Even before we give birth, the life begins to move. Lord, I ask that you would open our eyes to the Marys in our life, those, those coming behind us that we can prophesy over and we can bless what they carry. And Lord, I ask that you would also open our eyes to those we run with, the Josephs. Lord, I'm asking God that this year, 2020, would be a year where you begin to establish healthy emotions and healthy relations. God, we ask that you would strengthen this house, that you would pound in us principles of healthy relationships, that you would establish supernatural family in this house, Lord. Lord, that we would know we don't walk this thing alone. And Lord, I ask that you would go to war against loneliness. That you would go to war against the lie and the patterns of thinking and behavior that isolate us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.